Welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, Countdown with Keith Olbermann, The Young Turks, Media Matters, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and Rachel Maddow, with a bonus clip for our iPhone app users today from The Colbert Report. As you know, for the last year, the president has been engaged in an ambitious overhaul of our health care system in order to make good on his campaign promise to kill the elderly. <laughs> Just kill them already. <laughs> Enough bipartisanship, we're running out of time. They're going to gum us to death. <laughs> but that's not the only health care promise Obama hasn't kept. His campaign promise on health care reform, which I believed, was that we would sit down and negotiate together Republicans and Democrats. We didn't. He said he'd have the C-SPAN cameras in the room. I don't think his head moves anymore. <laughs> Poor John McCain. Obama lied to him. He said he had my nose between his fingers. It turns out <laughs> it was just his thumb. I, I went around for three weeks thinking I had no nose. Well, guess what? Tomorrow, Barack Obama's getting Democrats and Republicans together at the Blair House to discuss health care live on C-SPAN. It's everything they always wanted. This summit on the 25th is nothing but political showmanship. It is a media event that's being created by the White House. It's a travesty. The Democrats spell summit S-E-T-U-P. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Democrats are stupid. <laughs> Because that's a, what do they do when they want to spell the word setup? <laughs> I mean, no wonder Washington's so screwed up. I did send you the memo to set up that meeting. It's right here, F R G L E. <laughs> kids, kids don't love the spelling humor like they used to. <laughs> Actually, to allay Republican fears that this summit was a S E T U P. The White House released details on February 12th specifying who would be invited to the summit and what the format of the summit would be. And after having 10 days to peruse that document on February 22nd, Cynthia Lummis, Republican Wyoming, took to the floor of the House. Do we even know who's going to be in, in attendance at the summit? Do we know the format of that summit? Wow. Either that lady doesn't have an internet connection or staffers or she never learned how to read. <laughs> of course the Republicans real concern isn't the meeting's format. It's not knowing where the president stands. We're still waiting for the president's plan. The president has not come forward with a plan of his own. Conversation cannot begin until we see what you want, President Obama. Well, earlier this week, Obama caved, releasing his own presidentially branded health care plan, weighing in at concise 11 pages. Now can the conversation begin? That when you un unveil this thing now and sort of put it out there and say this is the deal, uh, I'm not sure what role we play in this. If they're going to lay out the plan they want to pass four days in advance, then why are, what are we discussing on Thursday? What the f*** do you really want? What do you want? 
winning at this carnival game, is there? <laughs> Mr. President, we cannot talk about healthcare until you grow a mustache. Ah! Uh, a handlebar mustache. Hmm. I refuse to discuss healthcare reform with a man in a silly mustache. <laughs> Next. Look, if the Republicans are going to put the kibosh on any Democratic plan, no matter what they do, why don't the Democrats just push through what they really want? Something that they're passionate about. Something like what Jay Rockefeller introduced into the Senate legislation last September. It's a very serious decision. It's a moral decision. It's an ethical decision. It's a human decision. These are families. And we have to respect them. And you respect them by giving them a choice in which they, for the first time, are able to go, should they choose, to something called a public option. Wow. Yeah, that felt real. <laughs> An intense and passionate plea about the moral and ethical necessities of giving working families a choice for their health care. Wow. Why did that not go through again? I've always been for the public option, and I still am. And I'm just sorry that, it, that we didn't have the 60 votes that we needed. Now, we have well over 51 votes. I would say right now we have at least 55 votes solid for a public option. But we need 60. That's right. I forgot Democrats are pussies. That's right. <laughs> they need 60 votes to beat the filibuster. Well, it turns out in the Senate there actually is a path to passing legislation with just a majority vote. It's called reconciliation. And funnily enough, Republicans have often used it to break filibusters when they're in the majority. You only need 51 votes. Harkin just said you got 55. Senator Rockefeller, your dream comes true, the public option, the thing you are so passionate about for working families, it's moral. Senator Jay Rockefeller, who'd been one of the key proponents of the public option in the Senate, said we should not do this reconciliation. Tonight, a special comment about health care reform and tomorrow's summit at Blair House. If I prove to have trouble getting through this, I apologize in advance. Last Friday night, my father asked me to kill him. We were just shy of six months since he was hospitalized, and it was the end of a long day at the end of a longer week. Not to get too clinical or too grotesque on you, but he'd had his colon removed at the end of September. And that went so well that it was no more complicated than an appendectomy. But what followed was a series of infections, like storms in the monsoon season. One arriving, blossoming, inundating him, my dad shaking it off and cheerfully bouncing back. And then within days, another one coming in to flatten him once again. Pneumonia. 
three or four times, I lost count, kidney failure, liver failure. The liver failure got better, remarkably enough. Dialysis, feeding tubes, drainage taps, drainage tubes, breathing tubes. Couldn't talk through that. Then he got strong enough and they could put a cap on the breathing tube and one day he scared the crap out of a friend of his who didn't know, who came in and gave him the customary, how you doing Ted, only to jump out of his shoes when my father suddenly and gleefully answered him in a strong, full voice, surprisingly well. Sometimes dad swelled up and looked like he was as puffy as a prize fighter who'd had a really bad night. Sometimes he'd get dialysis that was so effective or an antibiotic so specific that he would look like he did 25 years ago. Three weeks ago, they had found something extraordinary. A nurse noticed what seemed like a minor infection just below the surface of the skin, a kind of super pimple, if you will. It was actually the front edge of a series of abscesses, which would be drained and would produce, all told, about six liters of infected stuff. Six liters. You know how much that is? You know what that looks like? You don't want to know. But you do want to know it's been found because it means the man hasn't been weak all this time. He's been incredibly, inhumanly strong. The abscesses were like swimming pools for these infections. The strongest one would emerge. Then my dad, with the help of the antibiotics, would kill it off. Then the antibiotics would be discontinued, and the next infection would pop out and challenge him. As he pointed out, you know, just like the organized crime families. Then last week, they found another abscess of sorts in the chest. So they needed to put drains in there, too. This was Friday morning. His surgical team came in to see him. He did his nonverbal caricature of their chief. They all laughed like hell. They numbed him up, snip, snip, plug, plug, and this infection starts draining, and they leave him alone for a while. Then in the afternoon, they changed a few of the plugs the IVs attached to, and the respiratory therapist had been in checking the ventilator and his tubes because there was a leak somewhere. And to improve his dialysis, they changed his dialysis port and then in the evening, they needed a CAT scan of his chest to make sure those drains were in the right place. And they had to change a dressing on some bad skin. And every hour, of course, the nurse had to come in and draw blood to check how well he was getting oxygen. And then at night, it was time for dialysis using the new dialysis port. And that's when I showed up after this show. My father was a little annoyed the way he often gets in there, annoyed about all the activity. That day, it was like being Sisyphus with that boulder, only at the top of the hill, when he loses the boulder, it doesn't just roll back downhill, it rolls over him first. He's brave about pain, provided you warn him in advance, and provided the sheer volume of the activity during the day doesn't terrify him. As in terrorism, it is not just when terror happens, it's terror that it might happen. So he's annoyed, but in a good mood Friday night, and as I usually do, I sit down to read to him. Thurber. I've been reading a lot of James Thurber's short stories lately, he's insisted I should do it on the show. We'll see about that. But a few pages in, the x-ray technician shows up. They have to take one more picture of him to see if those new drains in his chest are working. And I have to leave his room for at most three minutes. And I come back in, and my father is thrashing his head back and forth. You can't hear him. He can't speak at the moment. But you become a lip reader in those circumstances. And this one word he keeps repeating is not tough to discern. Help. He's mouthing the word help over and over and over again. And I get his attention and he is in full panic. Maybe the x-ray tech hurt his dad to his back or touched my dad's new chest drains. More likely he did nothing very much at all. But it was just too much for my father. Stop this, he mouths. Stop, stop, stop. And I say to him, I know for a fact they're not doing anything more to you tonight. And he looks at me and he starts thrashing his head again. Help, help, help. 
I get his attention once more. I ask him, do you want me to stop all of this? And he looks at me and mouths, yes. And I ask him, you understand what happens then? And he looks at me and again, mouths, yes. And I ask him, you realize you are not terminally ill right now. If we do stop all of this, it might not be quick. And he mouths, stop this. And I say, trying to joke him out of it or through it. And trust me, gallows humor is your best defense in this situation. What, you want me to smother you with a pillow? And he mouths, yes, kill me. I told my dad that obviously I would not do that, but I would go and talk to the doctors. When I came back, I told him they would really be put out by this because he wasn't sick enough, and all the indications were he could still fight off what remained of those infections. And he went back to thrashing his head and mouthing help because clearly I was not giving him the sense of relief, relief from the paradoxical truth that people desperately trying to save your life sometimes manage only or also to torture you. Of course, I actually was trying to get him that sense of relief. When I went to see the surgical intensive care unit resident, I told him my dad had hit his wall, that he couldn't take any other work, that it was now terrifying torture, that he needed it to stop. But I said, look, I'm his health proxy. We've had conversations about end-of-life care. We've had them in here. We've had them when he was home and well. I am not operating in the dark here. I said, I think he really wants the one word he keeps mouthing. He wants help. Is there any medical reason not to... I don't know, give him some sedation, some sort of mental vacation from being the patient. The resident thought that was a damn good idea and said it would also help his breathing, which the respiratory therapist had noticed wasn't quite right that night. So when I came in and gave my father the song and dance about how put out the doctors were, really I was just stalling. I started to read to him again and he was still thrashing his head from side to side in utter frustration. And then he started to calm down and enjoy the story. And as he began to close his eyes and rest, the nurse slipped in and injected a sedative into one of his IVs. And as I left the hospital that night, the full impact of these last six months washed over me. What I had done, conferring with the resident in ICU, the conversation about my father's panicky, not in complete control of his faculties demand that all treatment now stop, about the options and the consequences and the compromise, the sedation, the help, for a brave man who just needed a break. That conversation, that one, was what these ghouls who are walking into Blair House tomorrow morning decided to call death panels. Your right to have that conversation with a doctor, not the government, but a doctor, and your right to have insurance pay for his expertise on what your options are when dad says, kill me, or what your options are when dad is in a coma and can't tell you a damn thing or what your options are when everybody is healthy and happy and coherent and you're just planning ahead. Your right to have the guidance and the reassurance of a professional who can lay that all out for you. That's a quote, death panel, unquote. That right now is the legacy of the protests of these subhumans who get paid by the insurance companies, who say these things for their own political gain, or like that one fiend, for money, for money. Betsy McCoy told people that this conversation about life and death and relief and release, and also about, no, keep treating him no matter what happens until the nation runs out of medicine. She told people that's a death panel, and she did that for money. It's a life panel, a life panel 
It can save the pain of the patient and the family. It is the difference between you guessing what happens next and you being informed about what probably will. And that's the difference between you sleeping at night or second guessing and third guessing and 30th guessing yourself. And it can also be the place where the family says, we want you to keep them alive no matter what. We believe in miracles. And the doctor says, yes. Nobody gets to say no except the patient and the family. It's a life panel. And damn those who call it otherwise to hell. And that brings up the other point of all this. They've rolled my father under every piece of machinery in there except an atom splitter. They've pumped him full of every drug and remedy, and he's got Medicare and some supplemental insurance. And my out-of-pocket medical bills over the last six months have been greater than my dad's have. And why in the hell should that not be true of everybody in every hospital, in every sick room, in every clinic in this country? What is this country for if not to take care of its people? Because whatever I've been through these last six months and whatever my dad's been through, not once were our fears or our decisions amplified by the further horror of wondering, how in the hell would we pay for this? about families having these conversations tonight about kids or about uninsured adults? Or what about the guy out there whose father is 50 and he's mouthing the word help and the guy knows what his father doesn't know, that the insurance company has just declared the illness the father has is a pre-existing condition and he has no more insurance. And when that son goes out to talk to that doctor about what to do next, even if there is a chance of recovery, that son can't afford to pay for it. That is the goddamned death panel, Sarah Palin. Since Friday night, my father has been comfortable. He's been breathing well, and there's been no sign of stress or discomfort. He is also not awakened. His white blood cell count, the indicator of infection, is now at about four or five times normal. Doubtlessly, in removing that much infection from him, some of it got loose into his bloodstream or it came in from another source. He's not being sedated anymore, but he only has the strength to fight off the infections or wake up, not both. We're hoping he does the first, then the latter. We are prepared for the probability that he will do neither. His team and I had another life discussion, life panel discussion, not six hours ago. And thank God I had those conversations with my father. Thank God I got his instructions about when to use my judgment and when to stick exclusively with his, when, if he's capable of recovery, to let them use everything they have, and when to make sure they're not just keeping him alive with no hope, when to listen to the instruction, help first, and then the one about stop later. So considering that if he does not recover, you will not see me here for a while, I have some requests. First of you, please have this conversation with your loved ones. Don't wait. Do it now. It's tough. It acknowledges death. And it also narrows the gray area you or they will face from infinity to about a foot wide. It is my greatest comfort right now, and I want it to be yours. And to the politicians who go into Blair House tomorrow for that summit, I have some requests as well. Leave your egos at the door. I want, I demand, that you give everybody in this country a chance at the care my father has gotten. And I demand that you enact this most generous and most kind aspect of the reform proposed, the right to build a damned insurance company for the conversation about what to do when the time comes, the life panel. And I want all of you to think of somebody lying in a hospital bed tonight 
who needed that care and needed that conversation. And imagine that is your father or mother or son or daughter or wife or husband or partner. And if you cannot do that, if you cannot put aside the meaninglessness of your political careers for this, my request to you then is that you not come back out of that meeting, for you would not be worthy of being with the real people of this country who suffer and who suffer again because you have acted on behalf of the corporations and not the people. If you cannot do this, go into that room and stay there, and we will get new ones to replace your worthless roles in the life of our country. My father cannot speak for himself. He appointed me to do so for him. I haven't the slightest doubt he wants me to say this tonight, right now. Mouth these words to me, and I will now give them such voice as I have to you going into that summit tomorrow. Help, 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 help. I need somebody, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone when I was younger, so much younger than today. I never needed anybody's help in any way. And now these days have gone, I'm not so self assured. Now I'm fine, I changed my mind. appreciate everybody being here. Hopefully we'll all keep our constituents in mind uh, as we move forward. Thank you, everybody. All righty. Okay, so let me do a quick uh, summary of what's happened here, and, uh, and then we'll wrap it up and we'll go to the main show. Um, this will only take 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm, pl I'm playing. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> all right, here's the situation. Okay, look. Uh, Am I glad that they uh, wound up doing this health care summit? Yes, I am. I, I think it was instructive. I thought it, I was uh, not sure that it was going to be interesting or that there were going to be real ideas discussed, uh, and I was concerned that it would be mainly political. Was there a lot of politics? Absolutely. But were there some real ideas? Yes, and even from Republicans. Here, I'll give you four ideas from the Republicans that I liked. Uh, this, Tom Coburn uh, did, had the undercover patient idea. Sounds funny, but... It's a decent way of maybe uh, trying to look at uh, fixing fraud in the Medicare system. All right, worthy of consideration. Uh, Paul Ryan made a good point on, hey, you know what, they're playing with the numbers a little bit here. The, the, in terms of uh, why it, it actually reduces the deficit, well, that's because you're getting 10 years' worth of money in, but only six years' worth of money out because all this starts in 2014. That's a very fair point and an interesting point for ensuing years after that. Uh, McCain uh, had the point about, hey, why does Florida get this Medicaid exemption? And everybody agrees to that, and Obama instantly agreed to it. They shouldn't get it. It was part of the deal-making that they made, but that's got to be removed. And, uh, and then they had a, a, an interesting, as they said over and over, philosophical difference on whether there should be a baseline of coverage in the exchange. So everybody goes in the exchange, and the, the current Democratic bill says, all right, but this is the minimum that you can offer if you're in the exchange. And I think the Republicans had a decent point. I think it was Enzi who said, hey, you know what? 
uh, maybe uh, we can do the exchange and then clearly identify these are the ones that meet the minimum requirements and these are the ones that don't, but you can still buy the ones that don't meet the minimum requirements. All right, you know what? I can live with that. I mean, that's at least an interesting idea. If those are the compromises that they offer, let's shake on it. We got a deal. Now, the problem, of course, is, and that is the central problem of this whole process, is that the Republicans will not shake on it. You can give them that. And as Democrats pointed out over and over, they accepted 150 Republican amendments in the Senate version of the bill. And out of the, out of the 10 GOP proposals in the House, in the Senate bill, nine of them were expect, accepted. Nine out of 10, okay? And they still say no. So at the end of this summit, will the Republicans say no? Of course they will. And you can give them this and that, and you can give them everything you want, and they're not ever going to agree to it. So that brings us to the next stage. I mean, if you talk to me about who won and lost the summit, uh, you know, I thought the Republicans won the first half of the summit. The Democrats made some really good points in the second half. If, if people were listening, if people were watching, if they got an accurate sense of it. Now, I say the Republicans won in the first half, and maybe even overall, because you know what? In the end of the day, I guarantee you what the media is going to call it. They're never going to have the courage to say one side made better points than the other. They're going to call it a draw, right? Everybody knows it, I guarantee. You go to CNN right now, you go anywhere you like, you'll go read the newspapers tomorrow, everyone will call it a draw. Oh, they made some points, and the other ones made some points, la, 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 and the Republicans will come back saying the same thing. Oh, look, nobody's convinced. We have philosophical differences. We have some agreements and disagreements, so let's just scrap the whole thing. So that leads to that final point, which is what Obama said at the very end. Look, we're not starting over. You're crazy if you think we're starting over. We just spent a year debating this thing. So we'll give you an extra couple of, you know, things that you wanted, and some of them are reasonable. Okay, then you got to sign on the dotted line, and if you don't, well, that's a sad day for you because we're going to pass this damn thing, okay? Now, you can whine and cry all day you like about reconciliation, which you used over and over when you were in the majority. But we're doing it, okay? Because you're always going to filibuster it, and uh, you're not going to come out of this summit magically thinking, oh, you know, oh, my God, Obama convinced me. Okay, where do I sign? Get out of here, right? So, look, if you don't sign up, that's it. I'm going to steamroll your ass, okay? Now, I do it a lot stronger than Obama is, whether it's on the process or whether it's in the policy. I'd put the public option in there, I'd, et cetera, et cetera. But no matter what, you know, once they have done this part, and they are damn close, they did the summit. Now they might adopt an extra couple of Republican proposals, and then that so it'll go from 150 Republican amendments accepted to what 160, 170, and then you draw the line and you pass the damn thing. Okay, that's how this thing ends, and it, I think will actually end relatively quick after this, because there's the, all the debating is done now. It's officially over. Okay, here I'll even pound the gavel. Okay. Pass it, and let's move on. Following President Obama's bipartisan health care summit, conservative radio hosts attempt to take on Democratic policymakers, but their criticisms degenerate into name-calling and xenophobic, racially charged smears. Have a listen. Here's the way we have to start looking at Nancy Pelosi. Mullah Nancy Bin Pelosi. She's no different than these mullahs and these imams who convince all these people to put bombs on their kids and send them out there to blow up. 
The only thing she can't do is promise them 73 virgins or whatever it is. Here's this little wuss from Kenya. Somebody should slap him silly. Bill Clinton flooded America with Middle Easterners, mostly of the throwback variety. The radical left and the radical Muslims are natural blood brothers. They have something in common. They all want to bring down America. They want to destroy the country. That's how I see it. Your first quote. It's just a ShamWow infomercial for incrementally socialized medicine. That was Representative Thaddeus McCotter, Republican of Michigan, dismissing what big event even before it happened? The healthcare summit? The healthcare summit, exactly right. The healthcare summit. The big showdown, also known as the Grumble in the Jungle, <laughs> transfixed the nation on Thursday. Or at least the portion of the nation that didn't find something more interesting to do, like sitting in a dark room and staring at the ceiling. <laughs> Nobody seemed more disappointed in the result of this much-hyped summit than President Obama himself. Throughout, he had the exasperated air of a substitute kindergarten teacher who just doesn't understand why the kids just don't buckle down and study. <laughs> I mean, he wanted a substantive discussion of health care policy, and there's Eric Cantor pulling on Nancy Pelosi's pigtails. <laughs> And, and, the rest of, and the rest of the Republican caucus eating paste. Exactly. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> did you guys eat paste? Did you guys? <laughs> did you guys watch any of the summit? I did. I did. You did? I thought that uh, would have benefited from beer. Really? <laughs> on, on your part or on theirs? Both, probably. You know, the beer summit had, you know, everyone was kind of friendly and happy at that. And yeah. everybody got along here. They seemed to be really annoyed with each other. Right. People should be summit. high at a summit. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I know you know by now that the members are absolutely the lifeblood of this show. In return for their support, I've been able to increase the schedule to 10 episodes per month and this means that the members now are only paying 50 cents per episode to keep the show going now if everyone within the sound of my voice sent in just 25 cents a month that would be enough but in reality we all know that's not going to happen so just know that when you sign up for a membership at just five bucks a month you're actually supporting the show for yourself and 20 other people who maybe can't afford to pay so in return you actually have my gratitude and the gratitude of all of those who benefit from the service this show provides for details on membership please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com thanks so much for your support but we begin tonight with an effort to clear up a big, fat, embarrassing political lie. Democrats have already decided on this so-called nuclear option or reconciliation process. This would be uh, the nuclear option, and I think it would be a terrible mistake. Reconciliation, that sounds real nice and gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's a nuclear option. No, it's not, actually. It's not the nuclear option. This is the last-ditch, last-day, last-try effort to stop health reform by lying about it, one day before the health care summit in Washington. It is reported that the Speaker has already said that she has the process for reconciliation figured out. It was never designed for a large, comprehensive piece of legislation such as health care. As you all know, it's a budget exercise, and that's why some refer to it as the nuclear option. Actually, no, that's wrong. No one calls it a nuclear option except you guys. And you know you're lying when you do that. 
On the eve of the health summit, Republicans are trying to get away with saying that Democrats passing health reform through budget reconciliation rules, where you only need 51 votes to pass something in the Senate instead of 60, uh, Republicans are trying to get away with saying that would be the nuclear option. Sounds awful, right? It's nuclear. Uh, except that it isn't the nuclear option, and Republicans know that. The nuclear option and reconciliation are two totally different things, which Republicans are intimately aware of. And we know that because the nuclear option was the Republicans' own threat five years ago, not to pass something through reconciliation, but to do away with the filibuster altogether, to prevent Democrats from filibustering President Bush's judicial nominees. Senate Republican leader Bill Frist says he will soon trigger what's known as the nuclear option, a vote to change Senate rules to ban filibusters on judicial nominees. Oh, yeah, that's what the nuclear option is. The nuclear option is changing the Senate rules to eliminate the filibuster, to get rid of the ability to require a 60-vote a supermajority in the Senate. What Democrats are talking about is something totally different, passing health reform through reconciliation passing health reform with 51 votes instead of 60. Not the nuclear option, and Republicans know it. They know it because A, they created the nuclear option back in 2005, and B, they've used reconciliation over and over and over again. And there's been no nuclear explosion. They've defended its use. They've never described it as nuclear before, before Democrats decided that they were gonna do it. We are using the rules of the Senate here. That's what they are, Senator. Reconciliation is a rule of the Senate. All this rule of the Senate does is allow a majority of the Senate to take a position and pass a piece of legislation. Support that position. Now, is there something wrong with majority rules? I don't think so. Is there something wrong with majority rules? I don't think so, unless Democrats ever want to use them. And then it won't, we won't call it reconciliation anymore. We don't call it, we'll call it using the rules of the Senate. Then we'll call it nuclear. Republican Senator Orrin Hatch calling it, quote, the highly partisan nuclear option of reconciliation. Republican Senator John Cornyn tweeting today about, quote, reconciliation, the 51-vote nuclear option. What's going on here is a deliberate attempt on the part of Republicans to define nuclear down, to conflate these two totally separate things, to demonize the way that Democrats have to pass health reform right now by calling it the nuclear option, even though the nuclear option is a real thing in the Senate, and this isn't that, has nothing to do with that. Perhaps the reason that Republicans are so unwilling to call this what it is, reconciliation, uh, is because they have a really long record of using reconciliation. My Republican friends are lamenting reconciliation. But I would recommend for them to go back and look at history. Realistically, they should stop crying about reconciliation as if it's never been done before. It's done almost every Congress. And they're the ones that used it more than anyone else. Republicans have indeed used reconciliation repeatedly to pass their own agenda items. They used reconciliation to pass not one, but two giant tax cuts during the Bush administration. You want to say reconciliation is never used to change the health care system, Senator Kyle? It was never designed for a large, comprehensive piece of legislation such as health care, as you all know. 
Actually, that's completely, utterly, 100% knowingly wrong. That is not true at all, Senator Kyle, and you know it's not true. Reconciliation is how the healthcare system has been essentially formed in this country over and over and over again. You ever heard of COBRA? COBRA is the law that lets people keep their employee health insurance for a while after they've been laid off. You want to know what the R in COBRA stands for? Reconciliation. Oh, yeah, look at that. In 1986, Congress passed the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act, COBRA, which forever affected health care coverage in this country. You ever heard of S-CHIP, the state children's health insurance program? CHIP was created in a budget reconciliation bill in 1997. Reconciliation is how we make changes to our health care system. As NPR pointed out today, quote, over the past three decades, the number of major health financing measures that were not passed via budget reconciliation can be counted on one hand. This is how health reform is done in this country. And this effort to say that using reconciliation would be the nuclear option, that it would somehow be unprecedented, is a lie. It is a lie and it is, it is disingenuous. It is disingenuous in the sense that it's not just a misunderstanding, they know they're lying about it. And people in the media who repeat what Republicans are saying about this instead of challenging them on it are helping Republicans spread a lie. Republicans have used reconciliation over and over and over again, and it, as, as was pointed out to them by Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer last March. 19 times since 1980 has reconciliation been used by far and away more times by the Republicans, namely 13 times they used it. They never came here and complained. They used it. I have the record. Senator Boxer actually inserted into the public record 13 previous instances of Republicans using this thing that they now say has never been done before. That would be so unprecedented. This thing that they're now calling the nuclear option, even though the nuclear option is a totally different thing. This thing that they now say that Democrats shouldn't dare use. This thing that they've used again and again and again. Conservative media figures continue to conflate the terms nuclear option and reconciliation when discussing the passage of health care reform. Have a listen. The use of the nuclear option, the Senate procedure called reconciliation, to pass a sweeping health care overhaul. Reports that Democrats are ready to use the so-called nuclear option. This would mean forcing a health care reform bill through with only 51 votes in the Senate as opposed to 60. In reality, the nuclear option refers to a 2005 Republican proposal that would change congressional procedure to eliminate the filibuster for judicial nominations. However, reconciliation is an established Senate procedure used to pass legislation by majority vote. In fact, reconciliation has been used to pass many major changes to health care legislation, including the well-known COBRA program that allows laid-off workers to keep their insurance coverage. debate. President Obama stood in the East Room of the White House to make an important announcement. Oh my God! What are those doctors? There must be a virus loose! What? Is that the Andromeda strain? We're all gonna... 
Sorry, those are, those are prop doctors. I apologize. <laughs> Unless they're doing a crossover White House announcement episode of Grey's Anatomy, which is like a sweep stunt of some kind. Anyway, the president was just there to make a statement on his vision for the way forward on health care reform. Dad, uh, you know what? That, that, that makes it sound boring. Um, <laughs> any real news people want to help me out? There's going to be a battle here. It's going to be a battle royal. This is a put up or shut up moment. Do or die. It is the end game now. The last stand. Yeah! <laughs> He's going to f health care reform in the skull. <laughs> yeah! Look, unless Bruce Willis is about to crash through the East Room Bay window barefoot and strapped to a fire hose, <laughs> I think we may be overhyping this. We began our push to reform health insurance last March. Since then, every idea has been put on the table. Every argument has been made. Everything there is to say about health care has been said. Reform has already passed the House with a majority. It has already passed the Senate with a supermajority of 60 votes. Except my apologies, media, you were not overhyping this at all! <laughs> I mean, this is... I'm sorry. Actually, the president was just stating the extent of the time frame of this debate. That it's gone on for about a year. Although that makes it sound like a thoughtful, deliberative process. Can anyone in the news media help me out with that? The Democrats jam this bill down your throat. Ram through. Cramming. Muscle. Jam. Cram. Force it. Ram it. Jam it. Jam it. Jam it. Shove down the throats of the American people. Yes, it's been crammed down our throats. Although, you know we've had a year to chew, right? Before it... But I guess now, this is the part where the president displays his tyrannical despotism and institutes health care reform by fiat. And now it deserves the same kind of up or down vote that was cast on welfare reform, no matter which approach you favor. I believe the United States Congress owes the American people a final vote on health care reform. Slow down, Hitler. <laughs> I see. That's, that's the president suggesting reconciliation, a procedure to pass a bill by a simple majority, a procedure that's been used more than 20 times since 1980. Or, in other words, media, help me out. The nuclear option. Known in some circles as the nuclear option. A uh, nuclear option. That R word. The R word? <laughs> Referring to reconciliation as the R word is absolutely ret the other R word. <laughs> for more on Republican opposition, for more on Republican opposition, we go now to Washington, D.C. Senior political correspondent John Oliver. Uh, John, thanks for joining us. I guess that's it. I think so. Is it? People applauding down there, are they, John? That's right. Uh, I can hear them it's hard around to hear this because area. Of the crowds around sure, you. Big. You can't on see the them, but they're here. In Washington, D.C. That's I right. I couldn't hear you over their noise. I understand. Uh, John, the Democrats are now going to do a simple up or down vote on health care reform, reconciliation. Right. The Republicans appear to be out of options. Oh, not at all, my friend. The Republicans have an emergency R word of their own. A powerful measure they've been holding in reserve. Something that would be guaranteed to completely derail Obama's health care plan. 
I'm talking about the rapture. Wait. The, the, the rapture. The rapture, John. The ultimate Republican emergency backup plan. The rapture. Correct, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, John. Isn't the rapture the mechanism for the ascension of Christian souls to heaven in the first stages of the second coming, right. leaving non-believers behind to suffer hell on earth. That's, uh, right, that's right, John, and certainly unorthodox for the Senate to use it merely to block health care reform. But think about it, there, there's a certain brilliance to the strategy here. I would force the Democrats back to square one. Absolutely, and uh, also indelibly link health care reform with lakes of fire, marauding demons, and the destruction of mankind on earth in the minds of surviving swing voters. <laughs> You really think they'd go that far? Wouldn't they? I believe as we stand on the abyss tonight, but those Americans who are want to turn to God for answers, that this is a time to be doing that, to ask for his help supernaturally so that we don't make this fatal step pushing our nation into socialized medicine. Oh, they're ready. They're ready, John. How will we know when it's begun? There will be a number of signs, uh, bright lights, the ground feeling warmer, John Boehner on the floor of the house lifting his arms wide and turning his head toward the sky, Eric Cantor left behind realising being Republican does not trump being Jewish, and finally Nancy Pelosi sitting astride a five-headed beast as it emerges from the ocean. Wow. Will Will any Democrats be lifted up? I think we both know the answer to that. You know, in that case, mm -hmm. with the Republicans gone after the rapture, the Democrats will then have complete control over the Senate and the House. That's right. Won't they then have the opportunity to pass this health care reform bill unopposed? Oh, John, they'll find a way to f it up somehow. <laughs> it's what they do. Pretty animals in cages, pretty flowers in vases, and rapture. at the press conference explaining what's going on. Let's go to clip number one. Go. Now, where both sides say they agree is that the status quo is not working for the American people. Health insurance is becoming more expensive by the day. Families can't afford it. Businesses can't afford it. So you want to pass the federal government can't afford it. Smaller businesses and individuals who don't get coverage at work are squeezed especially hard. And insurance companies freely ration health care based on who's sick and who's healthy, who can pay and who can't. That's the status quo. That's the system we have right now. Democrats and Republicans agree that this is a serious problem for America. And 
We agree that if we do nothing, here we go with the agreement again. If we throw up our hands and walk away, it's a problem that will only grow worse. Nobody disputes that. No, no, look. No, not good enough. I've heard this a million times, dude, a million times. Here's what you need to say instead. But then say, I'm coming for you. I'm coming. Followed up by, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. Followed up by, you're going to get it. Okay, I still haven't heard any of it. Still reaching out, still with the agreement. This guy is pudding soft, man. You know how soft pudding is? You know, you sink your spoon into it. I mean, it's as soft as it gets, right? He's pudding soft. All right, anyway, clip number two, maybe he gets better. So the question is, what do we do about it? Yeah, yeah, thank you. On one end of the spectrum, there are some who suggested scrapping our system of private insurance and replacing it with a government-run health care system. Yeah. And though many other countries have such a system, and it works in America, excellent. it would be neither practical nor realistic. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, people. there are those, and this includes most Republicans in Congress, who believe the answer is to loosen regulations on the insurance industry, whether it's state consumer protections or minimum standards for the kind of insurance they can sell. The argument is, is that that will somehow lower costs. I disagree with that approach. Wow, strong. I'm concerned that this would only give the insurance industry even freer reign to raise premiums and deny care. So I don't believe we should give government bureaucrats or insurance oh. company bureaucrats more control over health care in America. I believe it's time to give the American people more control over their health care and their health insurance. You think if you made a pie out of pudding that it'd be as soft as Obama? <laughs> Aren't I so moderate? Look at me. I, I'm going to you know, tweet the right. But I'm also going to go after the left. I mean, some people think if you did a single payer in this country, uh, that would be the way to go. But obviously, that's ridiculous. It wouldn't work here. Really, why? Why wouldn't it work here? It seems to work fine in uh, Medicare. Everybody's uh, happy about that, except that you guys all spent the surplus that it had, okay? But you don't tell the American people that. Uh, it, it works fine in all the other countries, and it works much better in those countries than in our country. I said this yesterday, the business roundtable for the CEOs last year came out with a report saying we're paying two and a half times per capita more for health insurance, two and a half times than any other developed country, any other. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, single payer is not working out. No, 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 it can't work here. The only reason it can't work here is because you all are up the corporate company's assets, okay? Oh, it can't work here because, you know, health insurance companies, et cetera, bought me. And I'm the president, so uh, it can't work here. I say it can't work here. And then making a Republican talking point about government bureaucrats and a takeover over the system. It's at, even if you had single payer, do you know, I can say this for the millionth time, gonna come make me come get him, okay? You don't, the government doesn't take over the hospitals, the government doesn't take over the doctors, the government doesn't take over the drug companies. It's only reform for the insurance industry. It's the government doing insurance, that's it. The rest of it is still private. If they did a takeover of the whole system, I wouldn't be in favor of it. Why would I be in favor of it?
Our top item today, conservative media figures mock the uninsured. Following President Obama's bipartisan health care summit, conservative media figures ridiculed Democrats describing the hardships faced by their constituents. Have a listen. One Democrat was trying to outdo the next on the sob story about how rotten our health care system is. Louise Slaughter won the Olympics of sob stories by saying one of her constituents had to wear her sister's dentures. Well, what's wrong with using a dead person's teeth? Aren't the Democrats big into recycling? So if you don't have any teeth, so what? What's applesauce for? Isn't that why they make applesauce? I've read the Constitution before. I didn't see that you had a right to teeth. <laughs> I didn't. Now we have a it's in the right. Fine print. Did you ever think that we here in America would live in a country where you didn't have teeth? <laughs> no. No. said they wanted health reform passed before the August congressional recess last year. Then they said they wanted it passed by Thanksgiving. Then they said they wanted it passed by Christmas. Then they said they wanted it passed by New Year's. Then they said they wanted it passed by the State of the Union. And as of today, new deadline. Democratic Senator Tom Harkin announcing today, quote, by the time Easter comes, we will fulfill Ted Kennedy's dream that health care is a right and not a privilege. So there you have it. Easter. April 4th. Mark your calendars. You might want to do it in pencil, though. Uh, Democrats are pledging to have health reform wrapped up in five weeks, and maybe this time they mean it, because maybe this time they have learned to stop waiting around for Republican votes. Republicans are making it easy for Democrats now by making it as clear as it can possibly be that no matter what, they are not voting for health reform. They're not even voting for their own ideas on health reform. In fact, they now believe that their own ideas on health reform are offensive and unconstitutional. They are now completely diametrically opposed to themselves. Take Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, please. Senator Grassley, the top Republican senator on health reform, during yesterday's summit with the president, said this. The high cost of this bill comes from an unconstitutional mandate. Uh, it comes from the fact that for the first time in the 225-year history of the country, the federal government is telling you you got to buy something. The individual mandate, he says, is unconstitutional. The individual mandate is unconstitutional according to Senator Grassley. Right, Senator Grassley? I believe that there is a bipartisan consensus to have individual mandates. I think individual mandates are more apt to be accepted by a vast majority of people in Congress. The lead Republican senator on health reform, Senator Chuck Grassley, is diametrically opposed to his own position on health reform. Even if you wanted to compromise with this man, and why would you at this point? Where would you start? Which of his two faces would you talk to? When Senator Grassley endorsed the individual mandate in health care last year, it wasn't some misstatement on his part. It wasn't some trick question, some momentary lapse in understanding. It was consistent with his record on this issue over time. Way back in 1993, Chuck Grassley, along with 21 other senators, introduced their own health reform bill as an alternative to the Clinton administration's effort. On page 238 of the Republican bill, quote, individual mandate, 
in all caps, see it there? <laughs> the secretary shall specifically make recommendations under paragraph one regarding establishing a requirement that all eligible individuals obtain health coverage through enrollment with a qualified health plan. Senator Grassley was for the individual mandate before he was against it. He was for it in 1993. He was for it as recently as a few months ago. He was for it well into this current round of health reform negotiations. But now, Senator Grassley is not only against it, he thinks it's unconstitutional. He is diametrically opposed to himself. We called Senator Grassley's office today to find out which of the senator's two faces speaks for him now. So far, staff members for neither face have returned our calls. If the example of Senator Grassley's brave stand against himself is not enough to convince Democrats that there's really no point in waiting for Republicans, they've got to do health reform alone if they're doing it at all. If that's not enough, then consider that Republicans are just flat out admitting as much themselves now, point blank. Did the American people want us to scrap this bill? They've said it loud, they've said it clear. We know how they feel about it. This, this is not a close call. Our country's too big, too complicated, too decentralized for Washington, a few of us here, just to write a few rules about remaking 17% of the economy all at once. That sort of thinking works in a classroom, but it doesn't work very well in our big, complicated country. The country is too big, it's too complicated for us to do anything about this problem. That's the message from Republicans now. It's not a matter of subjective perception. It is rather an observable truth that Republicans have no sense of urgency whatsoever about there being anything wrong with health care. They have no desire to or understanding of how to try to fix it. Meanwhile, here's the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle today. Some face premium increases exceeding 75%. 75%. The insurer Blue Shield is now notifying some of its customers here in California that their rates could go up more than 75%. You'll recall that Anthem Blue Cross announced its plans to hike individual premium rates in this state by a whopping 39%. Well now, small businesses here are looking at 75% plus hikes, 75. And it's 56% rate hikes in Michigan. And it's 40% rate hikes in Virginia. And it's 23% rate hikes in Maine. Do you want to wait around for Chuck Grassley to find his third face? To find something else he said he's for in this field that he's now against? Do you want to wait around to hear more Republicans talk about how it's too hard to do anything about this? And besides, the system's great the way it is. Why are we waiting till Easter anyway? Is there any further reason to wait? Thanks for listening, everyone. Let me just say right off the bat, if you haven't done so yet, please head over to bestoftheleft.com and click the button over on the right-hand side to vote at Podcast Alley. It really does only take just a few seconds and, and helps spread the word of the show. It, it gets us up in the, into the top 10 list at Podcast Alley, and, and then people find us there on, on their homepage. Uh, also, thanks to the people who are helping to spread the word about that, either on Twitter or Facebook, and and are encouraging others to vote and, and saying how quick and easy it is because uh, it, it's always nice to get a little bit of encouragement from other fans uh, to do that. Second of all, if you are paying really close attention, you'll notice that this episode is coming out on a Tuesday 
of this week. This is March 9th that the uh, the show will be posted. And normally, also, if you've been paying attention, you know that this show comes out twice a week, weekends and Wednesdays. But now that we have moved to a 10-episode-per-month schedule, this is going to be the first week that's going to see three episodes released. So just be aware, this show is coming out on Tuesday. Be on the lookout for another show on Thursday. I don't want anyone to miss it, so check your uh, iTunes or other podcatcher or blog reader or whatever you do to subscribe to the show. Uh, Just be aware that another show is coming down the pipe in just a couple of days. So now, of course, the reason that you're getting 10 episodes a month now is entirely thanks to the members. So I want to thank Sally W., who signed up way back on uh, August 29th and has stuck with the show all the way through till now. So huge thanks to Sally. And uh, and then secondly, Andre S. signed up just on February 6th and went above and beyond, signed up for a full year and uh, and just a great show of support from Andre. So thank you very much uh, to, to both of those members and all the members who make the show possible. Members, of course, enjoy all of the warm and fuzzy feelings knowing that, that they're the ones helping to, to keep the show going. And also, of course, have exclusive members-only access to the Best of the Left Raw feeds, which, from what I hear from the members, they really enjoy. It's just a a really great way for them to get access, uh, you know, ahead of time to audio clips and video clips. Of course, the show isn't video, but a lot of the stuff comes from video, so they get access to those video clips that they can download as a podcast and watch on their computer or or portable video player, whatever they use, and then also bonus content. You know, I I do a lot of research for the show, and I come up with a lot of clips that are great, and then they just end up not getting used in in the final product. You know, they cut for time, and and that's just what happens. So uh, members, of course, get access to all that great stuff, in addition to knowing that they're supporting the regular show and, uh, and the fact that it's being produced 10 times a month now. So all that for five bucks a month, pretty good deal. Now, normally at this point in time, I, I would hope to potentially regale you with some uh, some stories of some sort about something that I uh, could think of that's uh, even tangentially related to the show or, or anything else interesting. But um, I don't I don't have anything. I, I, I got nothing. So uh, so you'll just have to wait to be regaled for another time. So that's it for today. If you're interested in supporting the show, check out the support box on the website. It's got all the different ways, in the, including all the ones that don't cost you any money at all. Um, and besides that, just telling all your friends about it is the number one thing you can do. Just helps help me to spread the word and grow the audience of the show. It's a huge help. Of course, there are ways to follow the show between episodes. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Those are great places to leave comments for the show and hear what I've got going on between episodes, all sorts of fun things like that. And then, of course, for details on the show itself, all the links to all the sources and all the music we use is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from Nashville, yes, the Nashville, the country music uh, capital of the world, uh, from what I understand, uh, not, not being particularly beneficial to me as I'm not a big fan of country music. In any case, my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month thanks entirely to our members and donors from bestoftheleft.com.
the far from